The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon and welcome to Barron's Live Market Watch edition. My name is Arthi Swaminathan, and I am the housing reporter for Market Watch, and I am your host for today. On today's episode, we're joined by Bess Friedman, who is the CEO of Brown Harris Stevens, and the company is a residential real estate firm that is headquartered in New York City. So welcome, Bess. Thank you, Arti. It's really my pleasure to be here with you. Thank you so much for having me. For sure. Bess, we have a lot of questions about the housing market, right? So it seems like since last June, a lot of things have continuously <laughs> kept happening. So right now, people are like, okay, let's accept this new higher than usual mortgage rate scenario. But now they're not able to find options on the market. So so, so what's going on? Uh, give us the, 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 the big picture here. So I think we are in what I would describe as a sea change from where we were. Uh, you had we had you know post pandemic really low rates. We had really good inventory uh, and people out there buying and 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 selling. And now what has happened? Rates have gone up. Uh, they've doubled, and inflation uh, has gone up. And that's one of the reasons why we see rates going up. And so, because uh, the Fed is trying to get them down by raising rates, and they've been able to do that. Uh, inventory is much less. You know, COVID inspired this buying frenzy, which inflated data to make it look like it was the, it was the best year ever in 2021. But that was inspired by this frenzy of low rates and people buying ad nauseum. And so we're in a much different environment. Rates are up. Uh, there's inflation. Um, there's no inventory. What I say is today the market is now uh, a disciplinarian, where it used to be like weekend at Bernie's. Everybody was just buying, taking risks, and doing things. Today, people are much more cautious, and everything is a lot more expensive. Uh, so the housing market has slowed down um, because of inventory, because of rates, because of inflation, all of those things, and the uncertainty overall, including uh, the uh, Silicon Valley Bank collapsing. I think, you know, it just inspires a bit of uncertainty in the consumer, although I'm hoping that we don't have uh, a lot of that. It's looking like that will be, you know, only a few and not a lot. It just uh, we have to wait and see. I want to dig deeper into inventory in particular, because that's something that recently John Burns said that we're seeing multiple offers come back. You know, that pandemic buying frenzy you're talking about, feeling hints of it coming through. Where are we seeing a low number of homes for sale? Are we feeling it in the New York market or more so in other markets? And has the market all, like usually been this type pre-pandemic? So uh, to answer your first questions about where we're seeing it, uh, Connecticut is one of the markets where we're really stretched for inventory. And you know, real estate, the real estate market is all about supply and demand, right? You have ample supply and demand together, then they intersect, you have a fluid, nice real estate market. But when you don't have enough supply and you have very high demand, you know, there's a standstill. And so a place like Connecticut, which had ample inventory pre-pandemic, 
during the pandemic, um, you know, a lot of people were leaving the city and going to Connecticut and buying. And so, you know, it, uh, the demand really increased and now supply has diminished and that has stayed that way. Prices went up. And now, for example, now I don't, I don't know if this number is still accurate. Recently, uh, inventory in Darien, Connecticut was 17 homes on the market. Greenwich, there were something like 200 homes when there's usually 800 plus. Uh, so that's a market that's challenged right now. Uh, New York City, very different. We have decent supply, ample supply in New York City. And I would say we have decent demand. It's you know been a pretty good fluid market. It's not what was in 2021, and everyone can't help but compare to that. But it's we're we're in a steady market today in New York City, and people are out there buying and selling, not at the same pace, but it's it's decent. It's good. It's good enough. And so I think that's good because we have the inventory. Is that the same thing happening on the luxury side of things? Uh, I'm curious because New York has been traditionally very luxurious market compared, and as well as Los Angeles. Is that the same inventory issue that's playing out on that on the higher end of things? Well, you know, the luxury market uh, is in New York City is different than everything else because that's discretionary. A lot of that, a lot of people are purchasing with all cash, if you can imagine, because they can. And they're not going to, you know, get a mortgage, especially when they think rates have gone up uh, and they can they can pay all cash. And so that market has remained pretty steady. And we, we consider the luxury market four million and over. And there's a report if any if there's any people out there who are interested in the New York market, you can sign up for this. It's called the Ocean Report. I love it. And it tells you how many contracts were signed over four million dollars in New York City the week before and that gives you an idea and you can look at years before and that market has been really good considering uh the luxury market has been pretty good considering what is going on uh remember rt a lot of people made enormous sums of money during the pandemic and so people are spending it in luxury markets palm beach there was just a sale for 175 million dollars in palm beach and so people are still spending a lot of money and there are a lot of wealthy individuals out there. So uh, I think luxury is in a pretty good place. So coming back to um, starter homes and sort of first home situation, a lot of home buyers are turning to new construction because that's where they're finding the inventory. The Association of Home Builders says that what used to be a tenth of, you know, sales used to be a tenth right? The share of the sales, and now it's a third. So they're really gaining a lot of market share. What are you seeing? And what is your perception? Is this like some this tug and tug is very interesting, right? Like this tug of war. So what, what are you seeing? As far as far as new homes, construction goes, it depends in New York City, you know, uh, people are kind of waiting, uh, we're a little bit stalled, there are some great projects out there. And uh, it's it's going to take some time because we're, as you've probably been paying attention to uh, New York City, there's something called the 421A and that which is it's a tax abatement. It inspires, you know, uh, developers to build. And we are waiting to get the housing budget passed. I'm sure you read about what happened with the governor. So there's a lot of things that are in flux right now with uh, building in New York City. Uh, but I do think, you know, supply uh, of new homes and the building costs and all those things because of inflation have gone up and it's there's a little bit of a lag and it depends on where you are and 
people who are building these homes have to be able, it has to make sense. It has to be affordable for them. They have to be able to make money to do it or they're not going to do it. And when supplies got to be so expensive and labor got to be more expensive, I think there was a little bit of a holdback in that, uh, in that way. And so I think, um, you know, New York City is still, as far as new development goes, there's still a good amount of supply and there's still decent movement. Uh, you know, we have a project that we're selling on the Upper East Side on 86th and Lexington, and they're doing deals. I was with the, the, the sales team yesterday and they have a lot of visits to this project. It's 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 around two thousand dollars a square foot. Um, and they've done I think they said they've done 21 deals in the last few months, which is very good. So the buyers are out there. People, you know, people are investing and buying. And, and the beauty of a condo and new development is that it's all new. You don't have to do any work. Just bring your furniture. So there are consumers who like that. It's interesting because the, that there is a calculus to be made between renting and buying, right? And in New York City, I think it was a few months ago that we a rent for one bedroom was $5,000. And in some parts, 6000 even higher, right? So can you speak to making that calculus? When does it make sense to rent versus when does it make sense to buy? I mean, it's so um, nuanced and particular to you. I always say the market is there to serve you, not instruct you. So it depends. I think if you are a young person and you have some savings, you have some savings, whatever they are, and you can afford to buy something, whether it's really small. It's a great way to start building wealth is to buy even a small studio versus rent. Um, but some people are in transition and temporarily living in a place and don't know where they're going to be or what they want to do. It may make more sense just to rent for a year to you figure until you figure that out. Because when you rent, you know, you're not building equity. You're not building intergenerational wealth. Um, it's kind of just a temporary thing. It's more like dating versus, you know, when you buy a home, it is really more like a full commitment of marriage that you're really connecting to and believing in and putting everything behind it. So it depends on your situation. I think anybody who has a little bit of money and can do it um, should purchase if they can. I know not everybody's in that position. It's hard to come up with a down payment. Um, but if you can do it, my kids know this because I say to them all the time, it's, it's, it's an incredible investment in yourself versus buying toys. You know, mm -hmm. that saying, you know, the person that dies with the most toys is still dead, right? You just have a ton of toys. But when you, you know, leave behind real estate, you're really leaving behind, you know, legacy experiences and something that's probably appreciated greatly in your lifetime. And I think that's a real gift that you can leave to your family is a piece of property. I hear you on that, on uh, not, you know, savings for something that's meaningful, but you also mentioned it's, it's pretty difficult to come up with a down payment and, you know, at, at, with home prices and some parts of the country still increasing, it can be hard. Are you seeing, you know, buyers having trouble accessing mortgages from this, the, the first timers to the luxury end of things? Is anyone telling you we're having difficulty getting a mortgage loan? You know, I, I haven't heard that, but it's obviously I'm sure there's people that it's it's out of reach. Like you said, you know, a lot of people to come up with a down payment. I mean, I'll be very candid here when I you know bought my first apartment before I was in real estate. Um, I we borrowed my my ex and I were now, you know, we're not together anymore. But when we, we first purchased our apartment, we each borrowed a little bit of money from our parents to purchase this small apartment together. Um, and I think a lot of people have to do that if they are lucky enough to be able to, but so many people can't. And I think it just depends. But if you do have a relative that you can 
borrow um, from, it's great. And it allows you to start building. And then eventually down the line, when you're able to, you can pay that family member back. Um, but I know it's not accessible to everyone to be able to buy. I realize that. Um, but it is, I think, part of the American dream. And I think um, over time, if you can, it's something that I think everybody should try to do because it's long term. It's investing uh, versus trading. You know, it is something that you're really building something. And it's also it, it's it's for consumption. It gives you a roof over your head. It's where you have dinners with your family. It's where experiences are shared. It's it's so many wonderful things. Housing, you know, residential. It's such a special investment, I think. And it's not because it's my playbook. I know it's my playbook, but it's because I know it. Even before I was in this field, uh, I I knew that buying real estate uh, was a great investment, and it has proven to be so. For, for, for sure. Um, to the audience, I just want to send a reminder that if you put questions in and you submit questions, I will be able to ask best later on in the segment. So please submit them um, anything that you want to ask her. So let's talk about mortgage rates. I think our last I saw was at 6.5 for the 30 year fixed. Uh, Moody's told me last night that they expect it to fall to 5.5 and a lot of other groups are expecting the five number by 2024 some even by the end of the year i don't know if you're in the in the mood to forecast market rates but do you think they'll go up do you think they'll go down because consumers are expecting them to go up so can you give us some guidance on that i you know our i have a we have we're lucky enough to have a chief economist greg heim here who is brilliant and gives us market reports and and you know always gives us opinions on what he thinks and he has suggested that he thinks eventually that rates will start to go down uh, maybe not this year but next year and you know none of us can macro forecast what will be but uh we know one thing we do know, RT, is that rates are not going back down to two percent. I think people have started to accept. Uh, one of my friends coined the phrase "the six handle." I think the six handle is where it will be, whether it's five and a half or six percent, give or take, on a thirty-year. I think that's the environment, the space we are going to be in for a while. And if we take history into account, not so long ago, rates were in the double digits. And people are paying 18%. So the fact that you're at five and a half or six, or you can get an arm and get it even less, you're still in a decent arena when it comes to rates. Money is still relatively cheap. The challenge is that people were so used to money being free that now it's, it's everything has gotten more expensive. You know, a building that was throwing off a net operating income um, is worth more when rates are low. And now that rates have gone up and the Fed did so slowly in a short period of time you know they did incremental raises throughout this you know many months over a year period and howard marks uh, gave this description which i thought was brilliant and i think why we saw see a lot of people challenge is that if you put a frog in boiling hot water it's going to jump out right mm -hmm. and if you put a frog in warm water and just slowly turn it up for a, a period of time it probably will just stay there and that's kind of what happened with rates, you know, they just slowly turned it up and people were kind of just there sitting, waiting. And I think that's had why we're seeing somewhat of a detrimental impact on people because people didn't hedge against rates and they didn't realize or didn't understand the impact that they would have. And we're seeing that with commercial real estate as well. And so uh, it's going to take a little bit of time for that to work itself out in the market. 
It's interesting though because home prices they appear to be climbing back up again. They went down a little bit, but now because of the inventory issue, they're going back up again, which doesn't really help the inflation fighting cause that the Fed is on. What, what do you think about that? I mean, what will it take for home prices to stabilize, if that is the right word? You know, it's it's it, my markets, real estate markets are all about cycles, and so you know, prices can go up a little bit, they can go down. Uh, impacted always by supply and demand, how much supply there is, and what consumer sentiment and what how people are feeling is their uncertainty in our market. And I think today it's it's a kind of a weird market. It's it's definitely more uncertain than it was, and so you see prices higher in places like Palm Beach and Connecticut purely because. Um, the supply is so limited, right? And then New York, you have ample supply and decent demand. And because prices in New York have been relatively flat for a while. Uh, but I do, we are starting to see sellers, you know, come down on their prices and reduce, which is important. We need that. But in places like if you look in certain areas of New Jersey, there's still bidding wars. Um, you know, you're seeing like 20 people come into an open house and bidding wars, you know, so it's interesting what's going on. Real estate is so local. There's not one market. It's not one big, you know, you can't throw a blanket over the whole thing. You look at each different market and it's telling a very different story in every different place. So you have to kind of look in and see what's happening. But overall, housing has just switched from where it was like a full on party with champagne to now it's like a more austere market it's just a little bit different it's changed and that's to be expected rates have doubled inflation um you know bank collapse all these things going on it's a little bit of a turbulent market right now but if it wasn't i would be worried that people were mm -hmm. really you know not paying attention and so we're still doing okay we're still steady and you know what in these environment in this environment there's huge opportunity i think for buyers uh, to come in here and negotiate and get something really incredible because a lot of the time right now they are in the driver's seat. That's interesting. I just want to turn to the business of real estate, which we talked about the market. I talked to the business. You're in a senior leadership position in a big company, right? But I want to take you back to where it all began. You know, you were an attorney two decades ago. Tell us how you made that pivot into real estate because I, I want to know. <laughs> Uh, so I was funny. I was um, work. I was a prosecutor initially, uh, and then I was a legal aid lawyer here in New York City. And I was expecting my first child, and I was on maternity leave. And my mom at the time she had a knitting store on the Upper East Side, and I went in there one day. My daughter was like two weeks old, and I met this woman who's been a lifelong friend, who's a knitter and in the real estate business. Her name is Adrienne Berman, and she's actually an agent here with us at Brown Harris. And she said to me, I, I said, I'm supposed to go back to work in a few weeks. And, you know, I have this, my, this baby. And she, it's, we became friends. And she said, you should get into real estate. You'll have flexibility. You can make your own hours. You're a lawyer. You ha seem to have emotional intelligence. You'll do so well. And so I, you know, I was working like rigid hours, a full work week. And I just did not want to, I had this, you know, you have a baby RT, you know what it's like. You have this little teeny person with you who's so small and, you know, to put her in daycare or whatever it would have been, I was challenged with that. So I thought I would take a chance and pivot and try something new. So 
I, I started in real estate uh, 20 years ago, which gave me flexibility to work uh, when I could work, when she was sleeping or when she was with her dad and that sort of thing. And I took off like a rocket ship because it was so entrepreneurial. And it's really whatever you put into it, you get out of it. And you show up, you're on time, you dress the part, you, you, you know, treat people well, you have ethics, you do all those things, and you can be deeply successful in real estate. But let me tell you, it is a hustle. Do not get fooled by anything that you see, for example, on TV. It is really a lot of study in the inventory and working with people and being on time. And, and it's a tough business, but you can do really well in it. So I loved it. So I, I kind of like, you know, it's like I pivoted into this and real estate um, and law, you know, there's some sort of there's overlap because you learn how to negotiate, do a deal, talk to people, you know, communication, which is crucial relationships, all of that. So it helped me. It set me up really well for what I do today. You mentioned TV in there, which I, I really wanted to follow up on. There are so many shows about selling real estate on Netflix and other, other streaming platforms. Does it, does it help the industry? Does it attract talent? Does it improve sales? I mean, what do you think the effect is uh, positive or negative of having so many real estate TV shows? Yeah, it's funny. I, I sat down recently with Barbara Corcoran, who is someone who was like a Ben, someone who I look up to, a mentor, someone, you know, has been an inspiration. And, you know, we talked about this topic and I've talked about it in the press before, too. And, she, you know, her view was a little different than mine because uh, she thinks it certainly will help those agents that are on the TV show get exposure, which it certainly does do that. I, mean, I would never dispute that. And I wish those people well. What I do think the negatives are, and I've said this before, is that it really exploits and shows a side of our business that is not accurate. It makes it appear like you can dress well, have a fancy car, and you can get a deal done by you know, making a call or two, and then it shows you this like $300,000 commission check that you will be collecting by simply doing A, B, and C. And sometimes there's, it, it looks unprofessional. And I think for the consumer, the perception is, wow, that looks really easy. Like I'm gonna wear a nice suit and I'll hire a driver and you just collect these big checks. And, and it's really absolutely, I always say, people watch what the average real estate agent does, who's a serious professional on a daily basis, they'd fall asleep. You're on the phone, all, you know, you're preparing, you're making appointments, you're studying the inventory, you're, you're doing all this stuff that's really not interesting. But we know reality TV is absolutely not reality. I ask you, you're a mom, you have a baby, you are, do you think the depiction of like the housewives is what your life is like? Like, is that how you think your life is? <laughs> Those shows are there for entertainment versus what real life is like. Nobody would really want to watch, you know, me go home and read a book. I mean, that's not interesting. They want to see you get in a fist fight, flip a table over, get your makeup done and, you know, argue with people because that's entertainment. So again, reality, I got off on a tangent, but reality TV shows are there. Let's just be clear. They're for entertainment and they certainly give exposure to agents and that can be good, but it also makes the consumer think what we do is not serious and it's fluff and it really is serious. And if you take the job seriously, you're showing up every day, you're ethical, you call people back, you're on time. 
you're a professional. You're not, you know, some goofball who's just looking to get money. You're focused on taking care of clients. And that's what real estate is about. It's relationships and hospitality. And that's what the show just doesn't show. And so that's, it's okay. I, I, I don't, I have no hate for them. I just want people to have the facts. That's all. And yeah, I totally agree. And reality is a misnomer. It's just, it's based on reality, I suppose. Um, just one more question before we turn to some of the audience questions, because they've just been coming in fast and furious. Um, I hope I'm not in trouble. <laughs> no, no, it's just, it's, it's they're interesting okay. questions. So how has, I guess, just to sum it up, like, how has the industry changed since you started? You, is it two my goodness i'm so glad that you were able to make that pivot have more time for family but how has the industry changed has it become more hectic has it become easier with technology what has happened over the last 20 years with the industry yeah it's, it's such a good question rt the, the real estate industry has changed dramatically technology is has improved incredibly although real estate was slow to embrace technology it's gotten much better and i think what that has done is empowered professionals to communicate easier. Um, but you know, you'd believe it or not, uh, today real estate is still very much what it was like 20 years ago in the way that it's relationship driven. We have many people who still want to talk on the phone, want to, you know, hear what you have to say. Very few people I believe are buying their home online. I think people need to go in, see it, smell it, touch it, understand it, know the neighborhood. It is not something that you're going to do online. Although I think some uh, companies would have you believe that it's not the case. And what we do is highly personal because you're sometimes talking to people when they just lost, lost a loved one and they have to sell a parent's home or they're going through a divorce or they just got married. We are connecting with people at pivotal times in their lives. So that has not changed, which makes what we do so sacred. But the real estate, the technology has improved greatly, which just makes it transparent, faster, and better. And so that has been good uh, in that regard. And I think, you know, margins have gotten narrower uh, over time because companies have come in and offered a lot to agents and has made it more challenging. But you know, quality and brand and professionalism still are always uh, attractive to agents. And, you know, as you know, we're privately held and we have been, we're celebrating 150 years in business. So um, I always say old school is the best school. So I'm proud of that, that we are, we've been around for a long time. I think it's also like, like I wouldn't want to rent or buy a place without seeing it. And I want to meet my realtor face to face. I want to meet these people face to face. So, and I think a lot of people might be like that, but turning to audience question. So I, the first question comes from Samir, who is talking about the conversion that people are trying to convert offices mm -hmm. on using into residential properties. Will that help address the supply shortage? What do you think about this? Seems to catch a lot of like interest in especially in new york and a little bit on the west coast but what do you think about this do you think this will work i i mean i love the concept you know it's always the devils in the details i think it's a great idea because we could use you know a lot of this like class c um these office buildings class c and b who are that are you know they're outdated need renovating and all those things if no one's coming into the office why not convert them and use them uh, for a rental building, some sort of residential. And I was 
uh, last week did a, a sort of a, a discussion with Marty Berger from Silverstein Properties, and they're in the process of doing one of these. But I do think uh, it's a great idea, but it offers challenges because there's zoning issues, structural issues. The buildings are not built, you know, for they haven't been made or designed for residential use. So you have to figure that out. And I also think the big one is really that interest rates are, so, you know, have gone up so much. Everything has gotten to be so much more expensive for everyone that I think it also has to make financial sense for people to do it. I love the idea, but I think it's it's um, it's an execution that will be very hard. And, you know, it's great Silverstein is doing this, and I hope there's more that can do it and will do it. It would be a great use of that space. But I think it's not an e like everything, you know, we try to like make things simplify by tweeting out a sentence and saying, well, this will solve the whole problem. But we both know that everything in the world really meaningful is complicated and nuanced and requires a lot of thought and effort and execution is is key here. And I think uh, it, it's harder than uh, it sounds. Just to follow up there, I, I, I know that in New York, we have some buildings that were industrial buildings, huge ceilings, you know, huge lofts that were converted to residential property. So would say it has been done before. Is that fair to say? That's fair to say, of course, there's that has been done before. The question is, uh, here we are in this new place in time, as I said, with, with new rates, uh, uh, new city council, new everything, politics, new new everything. And so it's it's just a different landscape. It Can it be done? Of course, it's being done. The question is at the velocity and how much, and that's something that we'll have to see. But I would, I would love to see more people get involved and try to do it. It just has to make financial sense or, you know, no one's going to do it otherwise. We have a question here from Rita and Alvaro from about price drops and uh, Rita basically made the made this comment that uh, there are a lot of people moving from the north to the south, particularly from New York to Florida. We've heard that we've seen that headline so many times. Which parts of the country then have slowed down in terms of pricing? In Florida home prices are still up significantly year over year. So I'm just curious, like with this sort of movement, do you think it will reset or do you think there are going to be some opportunities for, to buy in some of these places? Yeah, I, I, it's such a it's a, it's an unfortunate point and a true one that Rita makes that, you know, a lot of people, even pre pandemic, were leaving New York for lower tax states. And Florida has been the big beneficiary, as has Texas uh, and companies. I mean, look, Goldman moved to uh, Palm Beach, uh, Icon is there, um, Ken Griffin set up there, Citadel. So they call it uh, Palm Beach South or, or, or no, I'm sorry, Wall Street South. Uh, so a lot of people are, are leaving what they find to be uh, too high a tax state for lower. And so, yeah, there's opportunities. I think there was, a, there was an article already in the journal a few months ago, maybe about the great divide between the East and West Coast and how now, you know, on the West Coast, there's a lot of opportunity with real estate because of what's happened with tech and all the layoffs and now all the opportunities and the fact that rates have gone up. And so I think there could be opportunity uh, definitely on the West Coast and in different areas, different parts of uh, the country. It just depends on what's going on with supply and demand, which is also so local. So I think you have to look at you know, where you are and where you want to be and what would make sense for you. 
Jeff has a question about um, rule of thumb that people used to have and whether that's changed. So before, when you used to buy a house, you should factor in the fact that it's three times your annual salary. I don't know if you've heard that rule of thumb. I'm sure you have. I've heard that before. Sure. Has that changed now? Has that calculation changed with everything that's happening from rates to prices? I think um, I would say you could say three times. I like to say four times your annual salary. Um, it could be even safer. It just depends on your what's happening and rule of thumb. And, and, and you know, if you are thinking of buying, um, obviously you want to you want to make sure to work with a mortgage professional that can help you to understand where you are with what your credit is, what you can afford, what monthly makes sense based on your assets and liabilities. You want to have a clear picture of that. And then you also want to work with a real estate professional that can provide you with all the information. Getting that information, by the way, is free. You can go to a mortgage uh, professional and say, look, this is where I am. I make this. I have this. I'm thinking of buying. And they will say to you for free what you can afford. It's free. And then you can connect with, ask a friend who's bought. Say, who did you work with? Who do you like? You can go to a real estate professional and get information and just learn for free what you could get, what you might be interested. You could even go to open houses and look. All of that is for free. And guess what? You're educating yourself. You're learning more. And you can understand that very clearly by talking to those two people. And I like the idea of three times your income. Four times is even better if you can. Um, it just makes you feel a little bit safer. And make sure your, your credit is good and what you would you know, want to pay every month and all that stuff. And then, you know, you're off to the races. You know, it, it's, it's, it's going to be, I guarantee, can't guarantee, guarantee, but I, I think that it will be probably one of your best investments ever is your home, is buying your home. So we had just have one or two more questions, and I hope that we're not taking too much of your time. No, no, no my pleasure, RT. We're, we're, we're really excited here. So um, Jeff has a little bit of a question, interesting question here. Do you expect home prices in retirement areas to decline as the baby boom generation retires or you know passes away? This is interesting because it talks about aging populations sitting on inventory and people are getting living for longer, right? So in those areas, it seems like wealthy retirees have driven up prices of homes compared to workers' income. Interesting statement, something that he's yeah. making the point, but I'm just curious on the broader point about aging and how that affects inventory. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting. It depends on where you're going and they're doing all these great things with those retirement communities and all the services and they're building these communities. I've taught, I've spoken to all these people like in Arizona and different parts of the country and people are able to um, get these services and support, including healthcare and all this stuff that was never available before. So I think, you know, uh, that for the long term, um, I think people have are going to be living in these communities longer than ever in a safer environment with support and help and uh, emotional support and friendship and all that stuff that they're providing. And they're going to have a better quality of life. And I think it's, it's, it bodes better for everyone as we get older. I'm Gen X. You know, I, don't, I, I think you're probably millennial. Yes, I know. Right. <laughs> the unburdened group, as we like to call. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but I think that those those retirement communities, it's it's interesting. It, it will be interesting to see how that pans out. 
Um, but yes, people are living longer and those, those communities are providing so much better services than they were in the past and giving so much more to people who are there who will stay there now for longer periods of time. So we will just have to see. It's interesting. A few months ago, I attended the uh, the Builder Show in, in Vegas. And this is one of the areas where builders are pretty bullish on um, because people are getting older and living longer. So it's interesting. Um, and then I want to end with a question about, you know, what has got you excited about the rest of the year? You mentioned the Gen Z, you know, Gen Z buying more homes. Does that excite you? Or, you know, I'm curious. <laughs> Uh, I think the right now, I mean, so many different things have me excited because uh, I do think we have huge opportunity in this environment. Uh, when there's uncertainty, there's always opportunity. Uh, I think, you know, we're seeing millennials as the largest segment of the home buyers today, which I was just talking to friends about this last night. In the past, that wasn't the case. You know, millennials were focused deeply on experiences versus committing to things. Overall, I mean, that's a generalization. And now we're seeing millennials really get in, invest, believe in the home buying process, which is excellent, I think, uh, for us, uh, because we want people to believe in that. Uh, it's, it's a great way for them to invest in the long term and for their future. Um, they're get, leaving something potentially to uh, their family. So I think uh, Gen Z, uh, I don't, are they today buying i don't know gen z is uh i think which yeah yeah i think that's there may be a little bit of that it's too soon i think millennials are you know taking up most of the the space when it comes to that and gen z soon will hopefully get in there i have two gen zers so uh and they're not yet ready to be in the they're not anywhere near buying uh but i think uh yeah i'm excited about the fact that um you know, it's even though we are have been in a challenging environment, I do feel like things have calmed down a bit. Inflation has, you know, come down. Uh, there's less hysteria. Uh, people are out there buying and selling. The market has been stable. And there's somewhat uh, a level, somewhat a level of a decent optimism, despite all the, the chaos that's going on. So, um, you know, good markets, bad markets, people continue to buy and sell because, you know, as I said, the market is there to serve you and serve what you need. And so people are, we've been through, listen, after 9-11, the real estate market, you know, there was a little pause and then it, we picked up and did fine. After the global financial crisis, same thing. Um, after the pandemic, people were saying New York is out. Forget it. It's over. Lights out for New York City. Still the talent capital of the world. People mm -hmm. come back. You know, it's, it's, you know, so it's about resilience and getting up. It's not getting knocked down. It's how it's that you get up every time after. And uh, real estate is one of those uh, long-term investments that people believe in. It's been like that forever. And I don't expect that to change anytime soon. People always need a place to live, right? So I you need shelter. You have to have a roof over your head. And it's not only it's, it serves two purposes. It's for consumption, right? You have a roof over plus it, you're investing in something. And, you know, so it's, it's, I always say you can't live in your stock portfolio, but you live in your home, you raise a family there. If you decide to have a family there, you have experiences, you it's sacred. It's your place to just do what you have to do. And um, that's why I, I just, I'm so fortunate to work in this industry. I love it. On that note, um, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for being here, Beth. This is a great conversation uh, and really glad to meet you. 
We hope that you audience will listen to our next episode tomorrow. Barron's deputy editor, Alex Eul and senior technology writer, Tay Kim will discuss the outlook for tech companies and individual stocks. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.